Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Journey, a 16-week odyssey of grit, determination, endurance, and will, where the weak are exposed and the strong revered. From Bleed Entertainment, this is Falcon's Flight. Insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. Now, here's Robert Taylor and your host, Brian Giffen. It is Falcons Flight, Edition 3, Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor, and we're glad to be back with you as training camp 2020 progresses. The preseason gameless, as I tagged it last week, training camp as the Atlanta Falcons continue to prepare for the 2020 season. Got a great show lined up for you today. Obviously, we'll crack open the audio vault and we'll hear from a number of Falcons as training camp continues up at Flowery Branch. We'll also have a unique guest in the middle of the show as we'll visit with former Falcons and several other teams, long snapper Harper LaBelle, good guy that now, of course, is in broadcasting here in the Atlanta area. But, Robert, good to be back with you, man. Here we go. It's episode three of this program, and the Falcons continue, albeit without any preseason games, to prepare for the 2020 season. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything's rolling along. Worth noting that today is the first day in pads they're gonna suit up and probably start knocking each other around and getting riled up not that they haven't been excited before but there's a different element when you slap those pads and those helmets on man yeah no doubt about it and in the heat here in the south that of course magnifies it that much more you know it's a good point you bring up because here we are now in this covid era and i think once you start to have actual football contact a lot of the story is going to be told now the next few days, week, week and a half about whether or not I think the season is going to happen in the first place because obviously they're testing these guys thoroughly. They're being very careful at all the facilities around the league. But I think until you get face-to-face typical football contact, you're not really going to know how a scenario like this is going to play out, especially when you hear about some of the college campuses and some of the stupid things going on around the world. Man, I really think it just boils down to what we've been talking about is if they take responsibility for themselves as individuals and they follow all the team protocol, I think everybody's going to be just fine. It is worth noting, though, that the Falcons had originally said they would have, you know, maybe like 20% capacity or anything like that. They are going to start the season and the month of September with no fans in the stands, and we'll see where we go from there. Obviously, I haven't spent a lot of time watching any MLB. I will tell you this, though. The other day, I... At work, I accidentally took a glance at a television where there was an MLB game on, and I was relieved to see that the Marlins' attendance hasn't changed hardly at all. No, they can't even get people to pay for the cardboard cutouts uh, (laughs) down there in Florida. I mean, they really are. I mean, right now, an embarrassment to the city. And I think the whole sport right now, the way it's being handled, the cardboard cutouts, the whole nine yards is an embarrassment, but... Obviously, this is an NFL-centric show, so I'll leave the editorial comment right there, and I'm probably a little bit more connected to some of it than a lot of people are, or at least used to be. You had some interesting things here that I want to touch on, and there are seven Falcons records, club records, that could fall this year, and I'd love to touch on some of those. Yeah, and there's some that may not fall, some that definitely will fall, and most of these are by number 11, Mr. Julio Jones, couple of NFL records that we could tease this year, but the first one we're going to talk about is career receptions. Roddy White, club leader with 808. Julio's got 797. That record's going to fall. I mean, he averages about 6.6 receptions per game, and he did have 13 catches in a game against San Fran last year, so that one undoubtedly is going to fall. And if he repeats his 2019 numbers or betters them, He'll end up at about number 16, replacing uh, Torrey Holt on the all-time receiving list. And he's currently number 25. Now the next one we got is receiving touchdowns. Again, another Falcon great, Roddy White, number one with 63. 
Julio's got 57. Now, that's probably one argument people could make about Julio over the last several seasons is touchdown production. He had six TDs in 2019, eight in 2018. Maybe he can get that number up a little higher. I know Calvin Ridley is known for getting those TDs down inside the red zone. I'll tell you what else about Julio, too. And, I mean, you could make this case about a number of receivers around the league in the history of it. A lot of times, some of these records have a lot to do with the fact that your team's not all that effective running the ball, and they, as a result, sling it all over the yard. So they are skewed a little bit, and this isn't to take or diminish anything from Julio because he's a fantastic player and one of the best, certainly, in the league, if not the best. But, again, numerically, these things get skewed a little bit if a team can't run the ball effectively and has to throw it all over the yard. I think we're going to see the Falcons throw it a lot this year anyway, just with that tandem of Ridley kind of coming into his yeah. own and, and maybe having a coming-out party, so to speak, as they call it you know, in any professional sport. But now, before, as where Julio might get double-teamed or triple-teamed because they had Sanu, who was a good guy, lined up in the slot some. But now you've got two guys you got to worry about. So if Ridley's having a hot day, they're going to take the attention away from Jones, and you could probably sneak him some passes in and vice versa. The next record that we could talk about is career TDs. Roddy White's got 63. Now, receiving touchdowns, Julio has 57, but career TDs, he's got 58 because he has a fumble recovery for a touchdown. And, I mean, exciting year for Julio. You know, these records falling and him kind of cementing his place in, in Falcons lore. The next one we're going to talk about is career scoring, and this is non-kickers. The all-time scoring list, the top five in Atlanta Falcons history are kickers. But again, here's that name, Roddy White, 382, Julio, 348. Now on the all-time list, if we want to get into that, we've got Matt Bryant with 1,163. Then we'll just take a walk down memory lane with Falcons kickers. Morton Anderson, number two, Mick Luckhurst, Jay Feely, and Norm Johnson. And nobody's ever going to touch those guys up at the top of that list, not position players at least. Yeah, the Falcons have had some really good receivers over the years. It's interesting you bring up Roddy White because here in a little bit when we crack open the audio vault, Julio actually does talk a little bit about how Roddy White mentored him and how that carries over to him trying to mentor Ridley and some of the others. Another name you didn't mention, but a guy that certainly bears mentioning is Hayden Hurst. Ryan loves to rely on tight ends down in the red zone. Austin Hooper, of course, left and went to Cleveland in the offseason, but they go get a Hayden Hurst that we've talked a little bit about, and this guy's going to be a threat, and you can expect him, I think, to be found in the end zone a lot this season. Well, also worth mentioning, the Falcons brought back Luke Stocker, who was more of a blocking tight end, but Dan Quinn's also been quoted as saying that Hayden Hurst is an every down, and he calls him a fight end. So maybe that's just a little depth there, and maybe he'll be down in the practice squad or something if something should happen to Hurst. Yeah. But maybe they'll make up some packages where, you know, put an extra guy in, probably run plays or some short pass plays with Gurley, kind of have that extra guy to throw up a block and get him downfield. Another position I think that we need to address at some point is the kick return position. That was one of the notes that you sent me yesterday. And the Falcons, of course, are going to look to fill that role and field position such a big key that having a solid kick returner, much less a guy who's a threat to break one and go the distance, is a big key in the league. Now, somebody that I like, he's a former Falcon, and now if everybody remember last year, Kenjin Barner did a lot of the kick returning for the Falcons, but he left and signed with the Ravens, which would lead Brandon Powell to kind of take over that role. But Taylor Gabriel is out there, and Taylor Gabriel's a smaller speed guy. He's 5'7", not unlike a Wes Welker or Wayne Krebet. Kind Julian of a classic Edelman. slot. Yeah, just smaller guy. But here's his number for the Falcons. 2016, he had 13 games, 35 receptions, 579 yards, six TDs. He averaged 16 and a half yards per catch. So that's not bad. Eight receptions of 20 plus yards, three receptions of 40 plus yards. Speed guy. And he was always that guy that I saw, like, kind of going those little short passes, you know, out over the middle. He just picks it up and takes off like a rocket. Yeah, yards after catch. A yak guy. Exactly. 2017, he played 16 games. We saw a little decline, 33 receptions, 378 yards, 11.5 yards per catch, four catches of 20-plus, two catches of 40-plus, and a TD. Didn't do much kick returning. Actually, he didn't do any kick returning at all for the Falcons, and he hasn't done much in his career. You've got to go back to the 2014 Browns, but his numbers, four attempts for 96 yards. His average was 24, and his long was 30. But here is what seals the deal for me and why I like Taylor Gabriel, not just because his speed and he's kind of a wild card, but fumbles. In 83 games, 2014 to 2019, that's his entire NFL career. How many times do you think he dropped the football? One. 
twice. Wow. So that's pretty that's impressive. Guess, he, he holds <laughs> on to and he protects the football. So I just made my case. Let's get Taylor Gabriel in here and, and bring him back into the cast. But we talked last week extensively about the left guard position. And you know, on the other side of the ball is where you've got the two young players they drafted last year, Caleb McGarry and, of course, Chris Lindstrom. Caught up with Chris Lindstrom, and he talks a little bit about being back to work. It's going great. This ramp-up process has been awesome. It's great being back with the guys. You know, you, you miss spending time with them. It's been however many months. It's great to be back in the building and great back into a routine with everyone. And I don't think this could have been better. I think we're really attacking this process. Yeah, Lindstrom, of course, is a guy that you know, missed considerable time a year ago with some health issues and injuries and the like. And it'll be kind of an interesting thing to see if those two young guys, he and Caleb McGarry, become kind of the future anchors of the right side of that line, interior-wise, guard and tackle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And like I said last week, these guys got to come out of the gate, and they got to come out of the gate quick. They really got to gel and kind of find themselves as a unit. But I don't think that's going to be a problem. And, you know, something I read, and I think we're probably going to touch on it later, but the offense, we have Dirk Cutter in at OC again, and he's had a stint with the Falcons before, but Dirk's not running his offense. He's learning Shanahan's offense, and that was his first year in the system. And so I think we're going to see everybody be a little more comfortable, a little more familiar, and things are going to flow a little better, all aspects offensively. The NFL is such a copycat league, and, you know, there's always kind of a flavor of the month thing going on, and a team sees other teams having success with something offensively or defensively and the next thing you know they're concocting their own version of it and that's a little of what you're talking about with Kyle Shanahan's offense that he runs in San Francisco and of course used to run here in Atlanta back to Chris Lindstrom here he is on the strange offseason and he still feels pretty good about where the team is despite a lack of offseason work it's definitely been different you know it's definitely a lot of adversity that myself and the team had to, had to go through but i think from the learning process of growing mentally in the offense i don't think we've skipped a beat the ota process that we were able to do and leading up into camp was amazing the virtual learning went great we had a lot of accountability with everyone and it was something i got better physically you know you can't replicate practice but uh, I tried to do a lot of drill work on my own, a lot of drill work with my brother, a lot of drill work down here. And so keep trying to develop physically. And then also the weight room too was hard, you know, having that shut down and having to do a, at home just a couple of piece things together. But it was good overall, and I'm excited. I don't feel like I was at a disadvantage going through this offseason. I feel really proud of the work that we put in this offseason and ready to roll in the camp. Now, Lindstrom, of course, is going to be a second-year player. And when you're a second-year player, Robert, and you've missed significant portions of your first year, and then you don't have an offseason, how much progress do you make? Well, he did work a lot with Late us. Late in the year, yes. Yeah, but also in the offseason on his own with some of the other guys from the O-line. So I think he's going to be fine. Here is Lindstrom on areas he feels he needs to improve upon here in 2020. I think using my hands better in the past in the run game, those have been the big things for my emphasis this offseason. So punch timing, punch accuracy, just using my hands better in the run game. And, you know, that's something I really tried to attack this offseason. That was definitely something during last year, then break last year, then coming back. That's something I've been improving upon, but something I still need a lot of work on. You mentioned it a moment ago, Lindstrom, spending some time working with other members of that offensive line, including Caleb McGarry. Here's Lindstrom on that. Being able to come back at the end of last year gave us a lot of reps to work with each other and have a feel for each other, and that's important. And We worked on it this offseason mentally, talking through everything, how we want to fit blocks, what we're thinking on different plays, which was good to do with him. And then physically, we were able to, pass a couple weeks before camp started, work some drills, him and I, me and Alex, and uh, it was good just to get that feel from one another again because you missed that in the five weeks, and plus I missed a decent part of last year. So being able to come back together as a whole line and fit everything was great. We talked about it a little bit earlier, the fact that the Falcons are finally putting the pads on as teams are around the league. Normally, by this far into camp, you're really not addressing much anymore about, hey, what took place over the offseason, how the offseason went. But we still are because everything's been slowed down. And, of course, it's such a unique year in so many respects. Julio Jones is one of those guys that still gets asked about how the offseason went. Offseason's been good. Just quality time with my family and just doing what I do in offseason as far as just working and staying working. Everything was cool, though. It wasn't nothing out of ordinary for me because I work out by myself and I kind of just, you know, do my job. Well, and Julio, of course, as we talked about, one of the best in the league as it is. 
and he feels as though he's not going to have any effect from the COVID-19 approach to training camp. I don't think it'll be different for me personally. You know, obviously the testing sites and things like that that we have to do each and every day, which is good. You know, safety's first, especially for families and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm away from everybody and I'm here to just do my job. We would love to have fans in the stadium, you know, but I mean, if it's a safety issue, safety's first. But um, if we able to have fans and being able to separate things and, you know, having the, the right amount of distances and things like that are coming in groups. So however that is, like, we got to be responsible as fans and, you know, as a community and things like that here in Atlanta. So whenever that comes about, I mean, it's trial and error right now. So everybody's just trying to figure it out because no, nobody knows nothing right now, really. Well, Julio didn't go full Allen Iverson here, but he basically points out that whether there's much in the way of training camp, preseason games or not, he's a pro and he's going to be ready to go. You know, I can go out there and play the first game without anything, you know, practice or anything. I can do it. It doesn't matter. It's just like you got to be a professional at the end of the day. Everybody's got to go through the same thing I'm going through. So, you know, my mindset and mentality is, is like, okay, to be the best version of myself and what can I take from this and do my best at it. And finally, when we were uh, talking about the records a little bit earlier, you alluded to Roddy White. And as I talked about with you at the time, Roddy White was a mentor to Julio Jones when he was drafted out of Alabama. Everybody remembers the trade when they got Julio. And Julio feels as though it's his role to be the same thing for Calvin Ridley as well as others. I'm trying to, you know, shut that curve down for him so he can learn it in three, four years than opposed to year eight. Roddy did that for me. So, you know, my job is to, to get to uh, Calvin and all the receivers as well. Like, I mean, Calvin, everybody's here. So, you know, I'm just trying to be that big brother, that mentor to give everybody the knowledge that I have so everybody can be successful. By the way, in the Zoom era, there are sometimes going to be noises that we don't have any control over. You heard a little bit of peaking or clipping or something going on with the Zoom feed there. Last thing from Julio, you talked about Dirk Cutter. Julio loves Dirk Cutter, and here are his thoughts on playing for him in that offense. Personally, just Dirk as a man, like, I respect Dirk as who he is outside of just being a coach, you know. But he's going to give you opportunities on the field. You can communicate about anything. He's not just stuck and just being like, okay, this is going to be my way or that's it because I'm an offense coordinator. Um, he wants everybody to have success, and he listens to everybody. All right, and finally, we move over quickly to the defensive side of the ball, Rob. We heard from Dante Fowler a week ago. The Falcons have big hopes, big money invested in hopes that Fowler will help solidify a pass rush that struggled a little bit a year ago. One thing that defense will not lack is speed, and there isn't anybody with more speed for his position than Deion Jones. Jones is excited to have Dante Fowler to play in front of him on the pass rush. Dante, just his energy, seeing him move on film, I think he's going to be a great addition to the defense. He's hungry. He wants to get out to the quarterback. And I mean, what else could you ask for next on the other side of tap, you know? So seeing them two work together on the edge is going to be awesome. And our last piece from the sound pile today is Deion Jones and some quick thoughts on what maybe Carolina aside should be a very interesting NFC South. It's competitive just like it is every year. Like y'all said, just new pieces to the puzzle. And uh, just being on our game and taking care of what we have to take care of every week and being flawless when it comes to game day. Yeah, so that completes our run through the audio vault this week. You talked a little bit about the Shanahan offense and Cutter kind of adapting. I think what happens is that assistant coaches see concepts that work, then they look at personnel that they've got, and they basically try to develop similar concepts based on the personnel or the tools they have in the bag, so to speak. And that's probably as good an assessment of what Cutter's doing. He has admittedly put a few wrinkles into that system from himself. He said the biggest trouble he had was a lot of the terminology means something completely different whereas I think when Cutter first came to Atlanta they brought like a lot of the stuff from the Pittsburgh Steelers like their old system so it could be the exact same word in that system but the exact same word in Shanahan's system means something different and it caused a lot of confusion now the one thing that I liked hearing and I felt very much that Shanahan was this guy Matt Ryan did not have a lot of freedom to audible couldn't make a lot of play changes at the line of scrimmage and Shanahan very much was a it's my system run it how I yeah. say run it but it seems like Cutter's going to give them a little more freedom to make some changes and change it up at the line of scrimmage so I'll be excited to see how that works out and to see how much more fluid the offense is 
in year two in this system because by all admission, everyone has said definitely going to see some changes. And the biggest wild card in the whole thing is Gurley. If that guy has any kind of season close to what he had out in L.A. and we've got Raheem Morris and if they can keep that head of steam that they had built up going into that 6-2 and two finish, the Falcons are going to be a very formidable team. All right, well, it's time for us to take a break. Coming up on the other side of it, former Falcons long snapper, broadcaster, a guy that played for a handful of NFL teams, one Harper LaBelle. Coming up on the other side of the commercial break right here. Falcons Flight, a presentation of Bleeb Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. And we're back right after this. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but Hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. It is Falcons Flight Edition 3. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. Falcons Flight, a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We absolutely do. And we're back here. And as mentioned, we go to the phone line now and we bring aboard a former Falcon, a journeyman NFL player, a guy that was a long snapper, among other things, for a long time from Colorado State. We welcome Harper LaBelle. Harper, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, spend with us today here on Falcons Flight. Longtime long snapper, among other things, for the Atlanta Falcons. Bounced around the league for a while these days, broadcasting Georgia State football, along with a good friend of mine, Dave Cohen. And up until the COVID thing became an issue, you were doing some sports talk here in the Atlanta area as well. How are things with you and what's going on? Well, thank you for having me on. It's good to hear your voice, Brian. And boy, I sure enjoyed our time together at Georgia State. And uh, your history here in Atlanta is certainly a prominent one. So thank you so much for having me be on. And I'm doing great. Thank you for having me as a guest. Harper, I did a little homework on you to get ready for the show. So one thing I want to say is Falcons flight fans, Harper LaBelle, Harper LaBelle Falcons flight fans. But (laughs) I got a bio so everybody can get to know you. July 14th in Grenada Hills, California. That's when you were born. I left the year out for you. Yeah, (laughs) a long time ago. No, you uh, attended my yeah happy belated birthday you attended notre dame high school in sherman oaks california and then you went on to play tight end at colorado state university and i'm going to ask you to dust off your memory banks here in a little bit because looking at your numbers i saw something pretty interesting i want to pick your brain about you ended your career 99 receptions for 1057 yards at that time it was good enough for fourth on the all-time list at colorado state then in the 1985 nfl draft 12th round, 321st overall to the Kansas City Chiefs. And for you Falcons fans at home, number 88 in the program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Harper LaBelle. Yeah, you had to go way back. I guess you had to Google or Bing or, you know, do something because that's not stuff you can normally find. I I went to the Cobb County Library and 
pulled out this giant <laughs> dusty old book and just <laughs> you know there's some guys that actually read these football or baseball encyclopedias these four or five hundred <laughs> yearly additional volumes of, of just massive trivia i've seen people do it and i've got a copy of football encyclopedia it had uh, from a few years ago my brother found it in a bookstore and said here happy birthday or you know merry christmas and i have to admit i got through about five pages and i said this is a little too much so um, <laughs> i hope you didn't go through the same type of history lesson they're trying to look up some stuff on me my information journey was much easier <laughs> You could. Good, good, good. Harper, let's talk a little bit about the role of a long snapper. Obviously, it doesn't get a lot of glamour or any of that stuff, but it is a critical role on a team. And obviously, most of the guys that do it, I can tell you at Kennesaw State, the first four years of the program, really five, if you count that redshirt year where all they did was practice, we had one guy do it, Drew McCracken. He was very good at it. But it's a critical role. I mean, you always hear about kickers being the leading franchise scorers and all that stuff. Points matter, and a long snapper is directly attributable to those points. Yeah, I appreciate your understanding of that. I always say that I'm the guy that comes in. I'm the left-handed relief pitcher that comes in to strike out the right-handed power hitter in the eighth inning. Very limited exposure, uh, but you're right. The points or the field position aspect of it make it pretty important. Yeah, first, second, third down when I was with the Falcons because you going to let me play tight end or are you going to take Andre Risen out of the game or Michael Haynes or – Drew Hill, you know, uh, Mike Pritchard. So I handed out a lot of Gatorade on first, second, third down. And then my, my time to come in was fourth down and, you know, let Morton or Norm Johnson or one of those guys uh, try to put it through for three or at least the next point. Now, Harper, my question for you is just on a day-to-day basis, as far as maybe a practice or a game day is concerned, what's life like for a long snapper in the NFL as far as preparing and training? And how did you come to get into that role as an NFL player? Well, it started in high school. I couldn't play. I had what's called Osgood-Slaughter's disease, and anybody that's familiar with that knows it's just a calcium deposit on your knee. And I was a catcher in the little league, and at about the time puberty kicks in, put a lot of pressure on your knee. And if you remember the name Frank Joe, he's the guy who basically sure. invented and perfected Tommy John surgery. My mom took me to see Dr. Joe out in uh, Inglewood, California. He was the team doctor for the Rams and the Kings and the Lakers and the Dodgers, and he and Robert Curlin had a practice together, and he was very familiar with the injury and, and said, listen, Mrs. LaBelle, your son's got, was got what's called Osgood Slaughter, and the best thing for him right now is about a year and maybe two of rest. And I heard a year, and she heard or two. <laughs> so I was a freshman in high school, and I didn't play football for two years. My freshman and sophomore year, but I was a manager, and I got together with our kickers one day, and a guy named Victor Trujillo needed some help, and I ended up snapping for him for two years in street clothes, and that's how I learned how to do it. And then once my junior year kicked in and I could finally play with pads and a helmet and all that kind of stuff, I, I ended up being the snapper for the team as well as the tight end. I went to Colorado State as a tight end, but I could snap. So I lettered my freshman year because I could snap. That's probably my only regret in terms of college life. I probably should have redshirted. Uh, I think it would have been better for me, but I didn't. And then I get in the NFL, and there's one thing that every team needs, and that's a snapper. And I was out of football for four years, Brian, but I eventually made it and played for 11 total because I could do one thing pretty good, and that was the snap football on fourth down. You know, one of the things people don't think about is, A, you're going to get crashed by defensive linemen, but you're also seeing the world upside down a lot. True. And uh, while you're upside down, if you remember Bubba Paris preseason of course. game when I was in Seattle and Bubba weighed about 390 and I'm being very polite and yeah. very uh conservative with that number. Yeah, I covered him with and the his, Colts I remember. Well uh, his <laughs> only job was to knock knock me backwards and land on me real real heavy and he did a great job of that. I think he scored four <laughs> touchdowns and after every extra point I just looked up at him and his face mask was, was touching mine. You know, you couldn't have been any closer without uh, making out with the guy. And, and I said, Bubba, we got to stop meeting like this. And he just laughed, you know, and then he did his job. And my job was basically to snap and then just do everything I could to kind of stay upright. But, uh, you know, against the guy that outweighed me by about 140 pounds, that was, wasn't easy on that way. But I learned how to do it a little bit better after. But, uh, yeah, the rules are different, too. Now, Brian, in high school, college, even in – Pop Warner now. You're really not allowed to hit the center and don't don't go near his head while he's upside down. But once he's upright, he's, he's fair game. So 
they have made some rule changes to make it a little bit safer. And unfortunately, I didn't get the benefit from it, but uh, I'm glad they, they did make the rules a little bit easier for the guys that are doing it now. We remind you, this is Falcon's Flight from Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Visiting with Harper LaBelle, he was a longtime NFL journeyman, spent 11 years bouncing around the league in a lot of those years right here with the Atlanta Falcons. Here's the time where I'm going to ask you to dust off the mental Rolodex because when I was doing my homework, I was looking at your Colorado State stats. And from 82 to 83, there was a big jump. So I was just curious. 82, you had 7 for 75. You averaged about 10 points. So a first down every catch, every time you touch the ball. But in that 83 season, you just exploded. 59 receptions, 729 yards, 12.4 per catch. What was the difference between the two seasons, coaching changes, or what happened? little of that, and then our, our quarterback was a senior, Terry Nugent. He ended up getting drafted by the Browns, and he had a fantastic year. You know, I had 59 catches. Uh, appreciate you pointing that out. I was third on the team that year. Our other tight end, a guy named Kelly McGregor, who was drafted by the Broncos the same year that I came out, he had 69 receptions and led the team in the nation. So we were just tossing the ball left and right. And we had the leading rusher in, in the conference. Uh, we couldn't stop anybody on defense. But, <laughs> you know, we really did try to turn some things around offensively. And, you know, we were going against BYU. In my freshman year, I played against Jim McMahon. And then for a couple of years, I played against some guy named uh, Steve Young, whose great-great-great-grandfather yep. started the university. And then uh, Robbie Bosco, you know, some other guys that they've had there. And, it was a throwing conference, and we were a part of it. And my benefit was that uh, I had pretty good hands. And, you know, they said, you're slow and weak, but you can catch. So we'll try to find a spot for you on the team. <laughs> One of the things that you've done very well is transition after your playing days to the broadcast realm. And in addition to your role at Georgia State, again, along with Sam Crenshaw, who you mentioned, and also Dave Cohen, you also, until recently, and I guess a casualty of the current situation we're in, very successful doing talk show hosting, which, of course, involves knowledge of a lot more than just football. And I've heard you speak very eloquently on any number of different sports and topics surrounding that. So you've really been successful in the transition from the playing end of it to the broadcasting end of it. Well, as you know, Brian, I have a face for radio, so <laughs> I'm grateful. That so I, do I. I can remember a few stories, and some of them are funny. Some of them are just good. You know, I've been around some amazing coaches, and most of those coaches learn from legends that one way, shape, or form really changed the game. But I've listened to so many of my former teammates and players in other sports. I think you're familiar with Jay Howell. You've worked with him. Jay's a neighbor. When Jay and I get together for a golf tournament or something like that, I shut up. I ask him a question, and then I listen, and then I say one thing. I go, and then what happens? That's my comment because <laughs> there's always more to the story. And as you well know, Jay and Leo Mazzoni in the same room, that, oh. that's, that's a, just a legendary story waiting to happen. It's just a matter of how you get it out of them. Yeah, you know, I could go down the road with some Leo Mazzoni stories, but I don't want to do that at this point. you got to admit, Leo. Oh, I love Leo. Love, love him or hate him. I mean, there are guys that, you know, oh, I can't stand it. Why? Why could you not stand <laughs> he's the him? Every best, time man. he's on the air, he tells you something that you just wish you were a fly on the wall in the oh, same yeah. room that that happened. Now, Harper, you played in Atlanta at a fun time because we had a very, I don't want to use the word flamboyant, but a very outspoken head coach, I guess. He was kind of larger than life, a character, Mr. Jerry Glanville. Do you have a favorite Jerry Glanville story? We were practicing one day, you know, it was the middle of nowhere, you know, just it was just another practice, probably late September, so it was hot, <laughs> but it wasn't as hot as it had been in training camp. And Chris Hinton, Chris Miller, our quarterback, and Jamie Dukes were all standing around, and Jerry in between plays. The defense, the, the first team defense, was was going live, and I was running scout team. And I'd go two plays, and then our backup tight end, Mitch Lyons, would go a couple plays. And I had just come off the field. I'd run two, three, four plays in a row, and I stand next to these guys, and they're telling a story, and it's pretty funny. And Jerry, you know, had an interesting connection with country musicians. Well, a lot of musicians. We had different yeah. people. James Brown came to our practice one day, and we'd have other entertainers. And someone was coming into town, and Jerry was asking if the guys wanted to. And he's telling a story and talking about this, and then someone says something, and then Jerry stops what he's doing right in the middle of it, and he goes, hold on a second. Doug Shively was our defensive coordinator. Shive, what on earth are we running right now? Well, we're running too sticky, Jerry. That's what we're running. You called too sticky for this one. 
well, how come my cornerback over here on the left-hand side and the safety aren't working in unison with one another? So even though Jerry was messing around and having a good time, he knew where everybody was supposed to be on the field, all 22 of the guys. And even in practice, he shut it down in a way because someone had made a mistake. He saw it, he noticed it, he stopped it right, nipped it right in the bud. And that's, that's one of the things that I thought was real interesting. The flamboyancy that you mentioned, the tickets for Elvis, all yeah, the other yeah. things that people seem to know about, but this guy was a really good footballer. You know, he authored one of the great lines that still appears on NFL Films productions from time to time, yelling at an official when he said, this is the NFL, which stands for not for long when you make calls like that. And your bad call trumps that other guy's bad call. That was what he <laughs> yeah. said just before that. I mean, that's in the category of Marv Levy's famous, you over-officious jerk. <laughs> Isn't just, that the great line of all the, time? <laughs> Marv Levy's, I mean, by the way, recent birthday, 93 years old. You know, God bless him. Marv Levy was a treasure. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Now, his Marv's job was to take the best team in the league and just manage the cats, yeah. right? Just hurt those guys and make sure that they – they played well on Sunday, and uh, you have to admit, for a, for a period of about five or six years, it's not just the four that they went to the Super Bowl, but you know, a year or two before that, a year or two after. You know, if you're in the AFC, the road to to the Super Bowl went through Buffalo yeah, every no year. Doubt. He's just amazing. We played them a couple of times in the preseason, and it's 78 degrees and couldn't be nicer. And then we went up there once uh, and played them while they were really good up in. December and it was just a miserable, you know, 33 degree day and it was the wind was blowing. It was they had such a distinct home field advantage. Oh yeah, and their 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 crowd went crazy. I mean, they had 85,000 if yeah. I'm not mistaken, but they were that's all they have, right? Unless you cross the border and go into Toronto to uh, go watch hockey, that's all you've got. It, you know, so Buffalo Bills is the one horse town there, and, and they they love their team. It was a real home field advantage the way that I saw it. Yeah, Marv was definitely. Without a doubt, I think the most scholarly coach in the history of the league. Yeah, you'd be uh, tough to get an argument out of me for that. I'm not sure what type of degrees or honorariums that uh, other coaches get, but most of them, you know, you, you might say that Joe Gibbs was the guy that earned his degree on the couch for only getting two hours of sleep before he'd go back to work at five in the morning. There's some great stories about what he used to do. And, you know, Dick Vermeil had to leave the game. Yeah, for a little while. Burnout. He, 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 his his family life, and then his obviously his personal one was. Uh, I can't do this anymore. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. It's just, it's just. Too, I mean, and then just ask yourself, Brian, or our listeners that, that are paying attention, how how many hours a day do you need to work in order to be one step ahead of your opponent? Is it 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 and a half? How many hours a day do you need to do this? So, it, there comes a point where you just got to trust your players, and I think Mark was really good at doing. You know, at the risk of sounding like get-off-my-lawn guy, I think gone in today's NFL are the days of these flamboyant character coaches. And I think the, the Bum Phillips of the world, the George Allens of the world, guys that, you know, definitely had their own style. Bum Phillips is a whole nother road you can go down. That just hilarious quote after hilarious quote. But you get what I'm saying in the era of coach speak and you know, everybody's kind of dressed alike. Everybody says the same thing. Everybody sounds alike. In the case now, out in Los Angeles, for example, they even went looking for coaches who looked like the coach of the Rams after he had the great season. Isn't that amazing? Uh, I've said this off camera, off radio, uh, you know, at times. I'm wondering if there's some sort of school that the coaches are being asked to go to now where they always know you're always on, right? There's always a camera on you, so don't pick your nose or scratch yourself. <laughs> but what you say and your emotion needs to be as level as it's physically possible because no one throws their headset anymore. Well, maybe no. Belichick does yeah. once or twice, but, you know, we'll see how that turns out. Everyone acts as if, you know, if you score the winning touchdown or if you give up the winning touchdown, the same reaction from the coach, it, it, you know, it's very difficult in my opinion, to understand why they're doing that from an emotional perspective. Other than, you know, they always need to feel like they're the leader of the team and maybe the owner has an issue with that. I don't know, but I, I, I sure I, I don't mind it when you see Dan Reeves or Bum Phillips throw his headset when the team gives up a big play. Now, the big uh, obviously you're gonna it's gonna cost a few bucks if you're gonna break your headset. You know, that's that's a thousand dollars that uh, 
AT&T isn't going to be very happy about. But uh, <laughs> I agree with you that, you know, the, the, the game has changed from a coaching perspective to where it's very vanilla, very mundane, and almost homogenous all across the board. It doesn't matter who the head coach is. Now, i got a call out for both of you guys, and it may not come to the front of your mind because he's a member of one of those kind of dumpster fire organizations at the time, but he's the last of the Mohicans, and he's still out there throwing his headset and being animated and flamboyant, and uh, it's our guy Chucky out in Las Vegas, John Gruden. Uh, you're right. He definitely uh, didn't go to that class that everybody else <laughs> is. is uh, he got kicked out of that class. Yeah. yeah, he probably did, but... Pete Carroll, let's give Pete a little bit of um, Yeah, emotional guy, here. you're right. When Pete scores, he's the happiest guy. He gets a fresh stick of gum, and he is, you know, giving everybody uh, uh, Heisman trophies and All-American awards. You know, he's real good at doing that. But uh, we'll have to see how some of the others pan out. There aren't many, so I stand corrected. Yeah, Chucky is definitely one of those guys. <laughs> now, you can't keep a mic on him for more than two seconds because he's going to get beat. Oh, yeah. You're going to hear some bombs <laughs> come no out of his mouth. no doubt about it. Every, every, every other word, there's there's something coming out of his mouth that we, we can't say on, on TV or radio. Harper, one last thing before we let you go here. When you look back over your career, are there a couple, one or two highlights that really stand out for you? There are many, but the greatest honor of all of them was that I got to play with 11 Hall of Famers, guys that have gold jackets. And my first year in Seattle – with Steve Largent, who led the league in receptions, touchdowns, and yards, and was quickly taken over by Art Monk. I think it was probably six weeks into the following yep. season. Steve became number two in a couple of those categories, and a guy named Jerry Rice was obviously uh, surpassed and all that. But, you know, just knowing that there were some really great people that were a part of that. Reggie White, and here in Atlanta, I played with Brett Favre and Dion, Chris Dolman, who's in the Hall of Fame. We just yep. lost him yep. uh, in February. You know, uh, when I was in Baltimore with Jonathan Ogden, who is just an amazing individual, as good as he was at left tackle and how important he was to that organization, or Ray Lewis. I mentioned Reggie. I mean, in all time, if you took Lawrence Taylor out of the equation, would you start your defensive organization, you know, your defensive side of the football with a guy like Reggie White? I get 99 out of 100 people would say, yeah. You know, just so many different people that were a part of it that they weren't always the best. You know, I mentioned Lawrence. You know, Lawrence had some issues off the field. But, boy, on Sunday, what an amazing guy. Yeah, no doubt we about wish it. We wish everybody had that combination of being able to turn it on when you needed to on Sunday and then turn it off and be the right type of leader, either in the locker room or in your community. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, that, that would be it. But, yeah, certain memories of, you know, getting to play in the very first game in the Georgia Dome, the last game in Fulton County Stadium. And what an amazing difference between those two and being at the first game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium and how the technology has changed and, you know, Wi-Fi. And real quick story, I'm with Jesse Tuggle at a game a couple of years ago, and Jesse's looking at his phone while I'm watching the game. And I'm sitting two seats. There's nobody in between us, but there's there's a space in between us. And uh, like he's in seat one, I'm in seat three. And about the middle of the third quarter, I look over and Jesse's just talking to his phone and he's, he's typing and texting and doing all kinds of stuff. I said, Jesse, what's going on, man? There's a pretty good game going on. Oh, man, let me tell you, I'm in a fantasy league right now and I'm winning. I'm up 100 points and this is fantastic. <laughs> and he just went on and on and on about, you know, how at Thanksgiving he gets bragging rights with the family. And you know, his wife's father is Rayfield Wright, the Hall of Famer from the, um, yeah, the Cowboys. Cowboys. Sure, remember him well. Yes, right. Remember back when the Cowboys used to stand up real quick? Yeah. They'd, hunt, they'd stand up, and then they get their three-point stance. He yeah, was, that was a trademark you know, thing their offensive line used to do in the Landry era. Yeah, exactly. So I want to talk to him about that, but he's just talking, oh, man, I've got 100 points here and there, and I've got this quarterback, <laughs> and my running back just scored a touchdown. So, again, lots of things have changed in the game, but uh, the joy and the fun of watching people run around and do stuff that very few people in life are able to do, that's, uh, that, that was pretty special. Thing. And I'm, I was glad to be a part of it and honored that you would have me on as a guest to talk about me. I thought you were going to talk about, you know, what's Matt Ryan going to do and yeah, how many passes yeah. Julio going to get. But we'll have to do that some other occasion. Yeah, and we will definitely hit you up and try to do that. Hey, we, you just, we just roped you into doing this with us again sometime. That's good. Well, one thing people can do is talk about themselves. You know, everybody's got a story and stuff to tell, and mine was a little bit unique in how I got there. I was out of football for four years, so I realized what life was like on that side of the fence, you know, trying to get in and 
not able to do so. And then I got blessed. You know, God just uh, gave me an opportunity at, in right place, right time. And 11 years later, I'm happy as a clam. You know, I got to I got to do something that very few people get to. And it's a dream for so many. And for have it uh, to be a reality for me was uh, certainly a great blessing. So appreciate you guys giving me a chance to talk about it. Harper, it's been our distinct pleasure to have you on. All the best to you. Obviously, your broadcast family at Georgia State. Say hello to Mike Holmes for me. In addition to that, all the best to your family. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have a successful football season down at GSU so we got something local around here to cheer for aside from the pro team in town that this show's about. Thank you so much for having me on, and I'll, I'll share all those greetings. Mike especially, I'll see him in the next couple of days, and I'll tell Dave that you're doing well and that you're putting together a great podcast. He'll be uh, listening in no time. All right, Harper. Thanks again, buddy. Appreciate it, Brian. That is the great Harper LaBelle, a good friend and former long snapper for the Atlanta Falcons and bounced around the league 11 years in the league. Harper, a great interview. Really, really good time, Rob, talking with Harper LaBelle here today. Yeah, it's just interesting to talk to somebody from, you know, a past Falcons team and the organization and, and maybe get these fans a little more familiar with their team and its history. And that's something I plan to address on future shows just about what it took to get the team here and, and kind of the early days of the Falcons. I feel like there's yeah. probably a lot of fans out there that aren't as familiar. And, and I think my goal is if I can familiarize the hometown fans better with the team and have guys like a Harper LaBelle on here to tell these cool stories about yep. Jerry Glanville and whatnot, maybe we'll incite a little more support and a little less of that fair weather attitude that we seem to be labeled with down here in Atlanta. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about the current players, the current team as the season and this preseason, whatever it is, unfold. And I thought it was a really good road to go down to relive some of the things Harper went through and some of the history of the franchise that, you know, he spent several years as a part of that history. That was a great interview, good time. Well, it's time for us, probably a little bit over time for us to take a break, which we'll do now. But, ah, don't you fear. Coming up next... It's the soon-to-be world-famous Swirly segment coming at you on Falcons Flight, the way we cap every show on this podcast. Falcons Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We do. Back with Swirlies after this. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769. Or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but Hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. Falcons flight rolling along. Brian Giffen, Robert Taylor. Thanks again to Harper LaBelle, who was a terrific guest. Man, I love some of those stories and you know, him reliving some of the <laughs> some of the Jerry Glanville years. That was just gold, man. And you know, before we 
you know, crank up the potty and start putting people's heads in it here. That point that we made with him, and I think he agreed pretty wholeheartedly, you really don't see as many characters. Now, you know, one you don't think about, but a guy that was a tremendous character guy as far as, you know, his flamboyant actions, his temper, Mike Ditka. Oh, yeah. another one. Just, just world famous for imploding on the sidelines. I would love to know why that is now. I don't know. Is it league rules and, and it's just not considered cool anymore? I don't know what that is. Is maybe maybe they I think saw it's those control the message, you know, in the social media era, probably part of it. Yeah, and, and maybe they saw those coaches as being bigger than the team and it's a team sport and I don't know. But I liked it. It was entertaining to oh, me. Oh yeah. And, and because that's what I always watched football for was to get a break from the rat race and just see these crazy coaches and what would come out of their mouths and then just watching the games and watching the drama unfold as it were during a game and I really hope we can get back to that. And that's kind of what we're trying to do on this show. We're just going to talk X's and O's and football on this show. Yep, and history. And before we get to the swirls, just one more little piece of housekeeping. We do have some social media contacts now where you can find us. But I guess also one thing, too, the most recent cut Falcons have made is quarterback Danny Etling is cut by the Falcons' former Purdue LSU product, was drafted by the Patriots in 2018, no longer a Falcon. I'm sure with everything with COVID going on, he'll get picked up on a practice squad somewhere and be ready to step in if he needs to. But more importantly, social media stuff. We have an email now. It's falconsflight66 at gmail.com. Please, guys, this is a fan-centric show. We want to hear from you. What do you want us to talk about? What do you look for in a great Falcon show and where you get your information? So please feel free to reach out and drop us a line. Twitter, we are at FalconsFlight66. And if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Driver8 underscore RT. And I believe, if I'm not wrong, you are at GIF Radio on Twitter. So give us a like, give us a follow, give us a share. Again, chime in, give us something to talk about. On Facebook, we do have a page called Falcons Flight. Now, we got to get with our social media guy because there was a bit of a snafu. We used to have an old podcast called The State of Sports. We tried to transition that into Falcons Flight. Didn't go over well. So there's actually two pages. You want the one that doesn't have the picture of three clowns sitting in a booth in front of some <laughs> microphones. That's, that's not the correct page. We're going to get that taken care of, though. And then finally, we are on Instagram, and there could be more social media yeah, platforms And if you're to scared follow. of clowns, by the way. Don't stay, go to that page. Stay away from that page. <laughs> that said, Rob, what time is it? It is swirly time. Swirly time. The Falcons flight crew is intolerant of jackassery. There is a special place where morons are plunged headlong into a blue vortex of irony. Where imbeciles are irrigated... Dumbasses are drenched and abject idiocy rinsed away. Where pompous assery comes face to face with porcelain. Where chlorine, tidy bowl, and bleach administer swift, swirling justice. I like that part. This is our Game of Thrones. Where mindsets and hairstyles are forever altered. It is the Falcon's Flight Swirly segment. Now let's get this party started. I still imagine kickstarting a motorcycle when I hear that. <laughs> vroom, vroom. But toilets don't have motors on them. I mean, hey, they have tools. Anything's yeah. possible in 2020. <laughs> we, could, we could put a Briggs and Stratton on the back of an yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, American but, Standard. Yeah, and if you, if you can turn a shopping cart into a redneck grill... Somehow you could motorize a toilet. All right. So uh, I will lead this off because I guess I have been, you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, the time that we've been doing this. So let's just go right to this. A Facebook post by the California Highway Patrol in South Sacramento uses no fewer than four poop emojis in telling the story. And for good reason. It seems that in the wee hours of Monday morning, 39-year-old Jeffrey Scoggin called police to say he'd crashed into a pond on a dairy farm somewhere near the city of Elk Grove. Turns out it was a storage pond for manure. You guessed it, manure. Yeah, yeah, that's a little applause for manure. Luckily, Scoggin wasn't hurt. 
but the manure had pretty well filled up the vehicle by the time authorities arrived. Worse, <laughs> the CHP says Scoggin had spent an hour trying to get out of the pond himself before realizing his attempts were futile and calling for help. At which point, it took about 50 minutes for the local fire department to find him. As KCRA points out, that's two hours the driver spent in liquefied excrement. Oh my. Then came the perfect end to his night. Troopers charged the driver, Scoggin, with DUI when he was finally freed from the muck. Mm. <laughs> Worst night swim ever. <laughs> hey, Scoggin, let's rinse that noggin. Get over here. This ought to be a vast improvement. That's it, boy. Get in there nice and deep. He'll be sanitized. <laughs> the reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. And because your name is Scoggin and it rhymes with Noggin. I just wonder how long the local officials made him wait before they gave him a shower. Did, oh they, did they just throw him in the drunk tank just covered in cow manure? <laughs> you know, think about this one. The toilet in this case, might be our first time ever, was an upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you. I left one social media off, and it's Instagram if you want to find us. It's Falcons underscore Flight 66. That being said, I've got from Vincent Barone at the New York Post. I'm going to give him credit because he found a great story, and I'm pretty much going to rattle it off verbatim here. This is pretty amazing. Now, here's the title. Florida man charged for selling bleach coronavirus cure <laughs> arrested in Columbia. So I tried to find some kind of funny sound for this, but I couldn't. And I just imagine the old snake oil salesman in the back of the covered wagon with the top hat and the tails. You know, Mr. Haney from Green Acres. Yeah, either that or, you know, Dr. McGillicuddy's magic elixir. <laughs> Here's what ails you, you know. And we're probably going to throw in anybody that bought this. So here we go. A Florida man behind a fake church allegedly selling a deadly bleach coronavirus miracle cure has been arrested in Columbia. So basically what he did is he went around selling all this stuff and then hightailed it out of the country, but he's being extradited. Mark Grennan, 62, and his son Joseph, 32, face extradition to the U.S. after they were detained by Colombian authorities, county's top prosecutor announced on Twitter. Their arrest came a month after the pair were charged by federal authorities in Florida for allegedly peddling the dangerous product under the name Miracle Mineral Solution. <laughs> Hit it here, you know, like <laughs> I don't know I don't know how they sold anybody on this. So the family sold the toxic concoction out of Florida through an entity called the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing. That should have been your red flag right there. Sound the alarms. So, the Grintons allegedly instructed their buyers to drink the solution orally which the Food and Drug Administration has warned could prove fatal. Imagine that. It could be fatal if you drink bleach. Mm. <laughs> anyway, the family's bleach cocktail is believed to have resulted in the deaths of seven Americans. Oh, my God. The Grennans are accused of pushing the product even before the coronavirus pandemic as a cure for other ailments that require expensive treatments like cancer, Alzheimer's, autism, multiple sclerosis, and HIV and AIDS. Wow, this miracle mineral water, I'll tell you. I mean, let me get a batch right now. Grennan and his three sons, Jonathan, Jordan, and Joseph, have all been charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States and conspiracy to violate the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act and criminal content. So, oh God. good job, Florida. Way to just keep plugging along with the dumbassery. Hey, Grennans, you're going swimming. Get over here. That's it, boy. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. The reason that bad things happen to you is you drank the Grennan's elixir. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Stay well, away from mineral solution. You know, once again, toilet water probably was an upgrade. Yeah, exactly. This is two cases in one week where <laughs> swirling somebody was actually better and the atrocities they had committed. Well, that bit of silliness will wrap up edition three of Falcon's Flight. Thanks so much again to Harper LaBelle. We also tip the cap always to Scott Johns, who joins us regularly and will do so again regularly. 
moving forward. But Harper LaBelle, a special treat today. Great to have him aboard for Falcon's Flight. For Robert Taylor, I'm Brian Giffen. We thank the folks at Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. And we are out. We'll talk to you next week. So long. Thank you for listening to Falcon's Flight. Tune in throughout the season for updates, insights, and analysis on the Dirty Birds. Falcon's Flight is a production of Believe Entertainment. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.